Hello and welcome to Daddy-O FM, broadcasting live from West Hollywood, California. Joining us today from New York City is photographer and editor-in-chief of Imagister, Michael Williams. We'll be talking photography, kite surfing, and the shoot with Walking Dead's Norman Reedus. I'm your host, Jonathan Bookerell, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, Michael, and welcome to Daddy OFM. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good to be back from the holidays and recording again. How are things in New York? Freezing cold here today, so I don't know if it's good to be back, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but it's certainly nice to get away for a while. Yeah, exactly. Where did you spend the holidays? Um, I spent the holidays down in the Dominican Republic in Cabarete, which is the kiteboarding and surf capital of Dominican Republic. Nice. We had a, a blissful 14 days of kiting and, uh, and surfing. It was, <laughs> it was a blast. Really, really rejuvenative, actually. Fantastic. Oh, you've been yeah. kiteboarding for long? You know, um, yes. I, I mean, a couple of people have jo- jokingly referred to me as the uh, godfather of kiteboarding <laughs> in, in uh, New York City. I mean, I, I don't know if I can claim that title anymore, but um, I started in 99 and um, which is really the first year that they began commercially manufacturing kiteboarding equipment. And at the time, I think there were maybe two or three other kiteboarders right. in the city. Yeah. So it was really, really new, but it was really exciting to be part of something, um, you know, that's, that's something that's always been a, um, if you will, a, a running theme in my life is is jumping, not necessarily jumping on trends, I would say being on really, really early on the curve, seeing things coming down the pipeline. And this isn't something I've really ever gave a lot of thought to. It just yeah. like I was one of those kids, for example, growing up in Canada where it's cold and not really, there's not much sort of California culture there, but I was literally the first kid in my city to build a half pipe. <laughs> and got covered in the news when I was 10 oh, yeah? years old oh, that's cool. by, by stealing wood from all the um, construction sites when they were building all the suburbs right. back in the back in the eight, it's 70s, actually. Yeah. Anyway, I digress a bit. But yeah, no, that's what that's got. This is what a podcast is for to take those mm. tangents and run them with them. Right. I remember right. that the exactly. only time I did <clears throat> kite surfing, I, I got up, got the kite filled and ended up on the other side of the lake and I could not get back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the a, first part was really fun. Experience. Well, well, good for you for even getting up. Most people don't get up. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's gotten a lot easier now because of the technological advances in right. kite design and safety equipment. And in fact, my 10-year-old son, he was kiteboarding, which was amazing. He was wow. the youngest kid there to kite. And most people don't get into it until they're like, well, actually, most people don't get into kiting until they're in their 30s mm. because the cost is expensive. You know, it's a lot of barriers to entry. Um but those who can't afford to, if they got parents who are willing to dish out the, the cash, even then most people don't start until they're about 14, 15, 16 because it's so, it's so challenging and it's so dangerous. It's mm. so technical. It's, people often mistake it for a strength sport when in fact it's really a technical sport. Mm. It's not a strength sport. It's like driving a car. You don't need strength to drive a car. Anyhow. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's very because the dangerous part of the, of for me is just watching those videos when someone goes to do a jump and uh, yeah. goes straight up and never comes down and you <laughs> see them floating onto that, the other that, side. That has happened a few times. <laughs> Have you? How, what's the <laughs> highest you've been? And 
I think probably the highest I've been is 40, 50 feet and looking hell. down and just thinking, oh, God. But the kite is a huge parachute. And yeah. As long as you don't panic right. and know and you know how to pilot the kite, yeah. then the landings are pretty soft. It's right. only if you kind of freak out and, and do something stupid that, you know, that can lead to, uh, to injury. Yeah. So the yeah. Anyway. So that's so why I, I did it. Once. I didn't. I, I didn't think we were going to talk about kiting on. <laughs> but it's very interesting. Podcast. I like it. You're right. But Let's it, get back it is to. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. I, you know, just one little interjection here. It, it's funny what's happened in kiting because a lot of the tech entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley embraced kiting really early in the early days, and I don't know what it is about the sport, but a lot of sort of early adopters were attracted to the sport. Continue to be. Um, I, maybe that's got something to do with the, you know, the inherent challenges in entrepreneurship that are sort of reflected right. in kiting and the risk involved and, and also the thrill. I mean, they're yep. all sort of thrilling. I mean, it, in a sense, what I'm doing with Imagista or even what I did my early career in photography, there's a lot of parallels between both of those projects uh, or endeavors and kiteboarding. So it kind of makes sense in a way. Yeah, well, I think uh, I've been thinking recently about what it is to be a photographer. And I, and I think mm -hmm. all those things are part of the experience and part of who you are and part of taking risks. And, and I think you're just drawn to that sort of sort of things. So I love I love to snowboard and dive and, you know, all that sort of things. So I think right. all these things contribute to to your to your head and your creativity. And I think it's all part of being true, a photographer. True. And so let's talk about your photography career. I've known you for a long time, and uh, right. I know you've been shooting for 20-plus years, I imagine. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, <laughs> longer, longer than that. I, I almost don't want to admit how long I've been shooting. Um, yeah. I picked up a camera in 1986 wow. when I was in college mm. and didn't really think much about it. And, and honestly, what got me into photography was very, very indirectly through music. Um, in the 70s and 80s, I think there, it was really the first time, uh, you know, although people could argue this, but I, I, I would argue anyway, that it was the first time that there was this sort of direct correlation between musical tribes which mm. were essentially represented yes yes to a certain extent in the actual music they played of course but also in the styles of dress right so you know you had your punks you had your especially in the uk which you're you're yeah. you're um you're an aussie right and i'm a canadian but yeah. especially being an aussie and being a canadian you're kind of more tuned into what's happening in the uk than than say most american youths of, of that time might have been right yeah. i mean i was a full-on punk when i was 15. right well there, well, there you go <laughs> yeah so so me too and um there were all these tribes and there was that magazine the magazine is now defunct and our our listeners should really just go and google it because i think there's actually a really there there is i i'll, I'll have to look it up it's the it's an Instagram account that basically it's the archive of the Face magazine. Oh, so cool. Uh, 80s, I didn't know that was up. Yeah, it's up. It's yeah, they do an archive. Um, I think Nick Logan's head of it. Um, anyway, there's. I'll get you the link so you can insert, insert it. Yeah, because uh, and just to, just to remind the listeners, it's if you go to Facebook uh, slash Daddyo FM, you'll see links to everything we mentioned on the show today. So check that out. That's great. That's great. Um, anyhow, so. So during that that very vibrant musical era of the 80s, you had the emergence of punk. There were still bands that were still very prevalent, like Led Zeppelin, The Who, and The Who, of course, you know, uh, um, they re 
retired for a period and then kind of came back a few times or whatever. But you had all those sort of power, you know, power, what's, what's the word, super groups, I guess. Yeah. Not even super groups, just these legendary bands that were kind of ruling the roost. And yeah. then you had this upstart movement coming out of New York City. Um, CBGB's had a lot to yeah. do with that. You had the Ramones and you had all these bands. This, this sort of synergy between the Lower East Side of New York City and, and the UK, mm. London in particular. Anyway, that stuff, we started to see, we started to hear the music, of course, but we were also met with these new visual tribes. So yeah. punks looked one way, mods looked another way, um, skinheads, although that wasn't such a, you know, that was more a, almost identified as a political movement. Right. Um, and then you had all these sort of, you know, all of those things over the course of years sort of developed into into little tribes, some of which became legitimate, some which didn't. You had the new romantics. And yeah. Anyhow, so you had all these really, you know, really interesting visual uh, elements that were being suddenly being attributed to to music. And in the past, okay, the guys in Led Zeppelin look cool as hell, and so did the Who, but there was no real, there weren't really any codes to the way they dressed. Right. Or, you know, you could have long yeah, hair, bushy hair, whatever. Yeah. And then punk, each sort of each of these tribes had their sort of codes. And as an impressionable teenager, and we all thought we were not impressionable, of course we were, <laughs> and we're all trying to identify with whatever tribe we could and rebel in whatever way we possibly could. And I really took to the whole ethos, you know, even though I grew up in an affluent part of Canada, mm. in Toronto, um, most of my friends and I, we, we sort of identified for whatever reason with the ethos of punk and we're really into the pistols yeah. and the clash. And Toronto identified much more with the British movement, way right. more so than we did with, say, the Ramones. But that, yeah. was, that was still part of it. Um, and anyhow, so that sort of introduced me to this new visual language. And the only thing that sparked my interest in, that was the primary, primary, there are other factors too, but that was the primary spark of my interest in photography because suddenly to me, photography actually looked cool. Yeah. And then there were filmmakers who were also at that era. This was a really um, seminal period in filmmaking as well. It was the first real era of independent filmmakers. You had guys like um, Vim Vendors and yeah. Jim Jarmusch mm -hmm. and... Um, Oh, it's I'm I'm going blank. All, all with such amazing visual styles to their right, work. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. That that had a certain degree, especially Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. I really identify with him, and then so so I would go from this like being influenced by this punk ethos, and then Jim Jarmusch essentially making a film that wasn't about punk rock at all, Stranger Than Paradise, but had this oddly visually punk ethos. Nothing was pretty in his right. in his in his mise en scene. And then this photographer, who I, who I had no idea who he was, I just liked his photos, name, who's a legend now, and probably was on his, well on his way to being it then, was Peter Lindbergh. Yeah. So Peter Lindbergh picked up on a lot of that ethos and translated it into, into fashion. So anyway, I, I picked up a camera, and I didn't really think much of it. And then suddenly, this cool film came out by Polaroid called Polapan right. that was 35-millimeter Polaroid film, and I wish to God they still made it. Yeah. And you'd shoot it just like you would a regular roll of 35, and then you would, then you would basically, like you know, like roll it back into the canister, and mm. then 
put it in this little plat. Do you remember this film, John? Yeah, did, yeah. Did you yeah, have that, one of those? This little yeah. plastic thing that would go yeah. back and forth, and you'd have to wind it out and mm -hmm. wind it back. And yeah, it was. And it, it was seemed about, like magic in those days. Yeah, it was about this. It was roughly the size of a loaf of bread, and I remember <laughs> it cost like a hundred dollars. This thing it was just a piece of plastic, but the the they they and the film wasn't really intended for professional. It, it was sort of like a way of testing your light with. Mm. You know, in the way you would test the Polaroid, but the results were just amazing. This high contrast, grainy, yeah. black and white, and they also had color, and it was so cool. And suddenly, uh, you know, when that film came along, it, that was it for me. And right. that's now I, I want to kind of relate this to younger photographers, and and also to photographers of our generation who sort of bemoan yeah. digital. I mean, I love digital. I, I, love I don't digital. love what's happening to photography, but that's a, we'll get onto that maybe a little bit later. <laughs> but essentially, this was the precursor to digital because it allowed, you know, assholes like me, excuse my <laughs> French, you know, who knew nothing about photography at all, right. who only had this sort of, you know, it, it was in itself, it was very punk, the ethos. Like, I'm going to use this crappy film yeah. to take really, really cool pictures. And it allowed for almost instantaneous viewing, which mm. meant if I screwed up a shot or the lighting sucked or the poses were awful, I knew right away. So if it weren't for that film, I don't even know if I would have become a photographer. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting when when the when the technology is there to make it um, easy for to get what's mm -hmm. in your head onto into a physical product and able to reproduce it, and, and that might have been a, the early days of removing the barriers of, of of technology to just allow the creative process. And I feel that happens a lot to, today as well with the, with with Instagram, with with uh, you know digital, with, with with filters and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that yeah. photography is about what you see in your head, not not being able to use a, a camera. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I I I agree. I mean, there are there is there are photographers out there who would disagree. <laughs> um, but um, I, yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. Yeah. Anyway, uh, long story short, and then I ended up going to the Sorbonne in Paris mm. for a semester of college and taking my camera with me, of course, and a bunch of my friends were modeling. And one of my buddies, like a close male friend was modeling there. He said, would you do a test of me? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, can you buy the Polaroid? Can you buy Polaroid for me? And he's like, sure, I'll pay for the film. <laughs> I said, then I'll shoot it. He's like, great, done. So we did these really cool pictures up in Montmartre, where I ended up living for years. Amazing. And um, he took them to his modeling agent, and his modeling agent loved them and, and put the shot, the main photo, on the front of this guy's card. Now, this guy at the time was um, modeling for, you know, Ralph Lauren and Calvin Klein. Yeah. He'd already he'd shot with Christy Turlington. Um, shot with Bruce Weber, he'd shot with, you know, all these top photographers. And I, I had no, I, I really didn't know what the business was all about. Right. You know, I, I'd actually modeled a little bit. People who've known me for a long time, <laughs> like, would love to bring that up. You know, I, I modeled for like six Oh, months. we have to get some of those to post you as know, well. Yeah, yeah. There's one on a coffee mug at my place. <laughs> uh, I'll have to take a shot and send it. Fantastic. It's hilarious. You know, this, as I said, much younger, had hair, much skinnier, all that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I never really had an interest in becoming a model, nor did I ever. And, and I wasn't so arrogant to think I had the the right look you know i didn't have right. the, the chisel features and all that anyhow but i did really i love photography and and fashion at that time 
was very, very it's, and I'm not saying it's not exciting now, but it was particularly exciting in the late 80s mm. because of this convergence of this very exciting musical period and the fashion aesthetic. So fashion and music in the 70s, you know, it's not that they were bad times, but they didn't have this sort of urgency and this driving aesthetic. And there, was, there wasn't much controversy right. to music and to fashion in the 70s. Whereas in the 80s, it was all about controversy and all about driving forward a new vision. You had this, the emergence of designers like, um, you know, Yoji Yamamoto and Kamde Garçon. Yeah. The Japanese came in. You had... Um, yeah, deconstruction you know, sh- and... You know, just re- right, right, ex- exactly. And then you had like, you know, in, um, you know, the, you, in the U.S., sorry, not the U.S., the U.S. actually was completely irrelevant yeah. as far as I was concerned. I had no interest in New York whatsoever. There was very little coming out of New York yeah. at the time, except for maybe Stephen Sprouse, you know. Mm. But it was all coming out of London, Paris, and Japan. So I actually went to Japan before moving to Paris, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, so anyway, this guy showed, back to the test, the top modeling agent in Paris at the time, Louis, who ran Elite Plus, it was called Elite Plus yeah. then, rang me up and said, hello, Michael, this is Louis uh, from Elite Plus. I'm King Louis. Do you get it? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, 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 King Louis, yes, I, I speak a bit of French. Ah, yes, the I fashion get world it. in He's the like, late I'm, 80s. I'm king of Paris, you know, sort of thing. And I thought, oh, God. You know, who is this eccentric guy calling me? And meanwhile, by the way, I'm staying in this, like, this total shitbox hotel full of, it was like half students and half prostitutes in Pigalle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had, it was just, you know, it was, I couldn't afford to stay anywhere else. And Pigalle's the, the, like, the, the red light district of Paris, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And, very, it, and it's still horrible to yeah. this day. But back then it was even, it was just yeah. nasty. Yeah. It was... <laughs> Frightening. I mean, it was just you know prostitutes, transvestites. Anyhow, um, so regular Friday night then. What's that? A regular Friday night night. Exactly, regular (laughs) Friday night for some of us. Anyhow, um, so I went in to see this guy. I I, I actually said, "Listen, I'm not a photographer," and he said, "Well, I'd like you to come in and meet me." And I went and met him, and he said, "You know, I'll pay you." This is before the there was there was no euro back then. Frank, but he said, I'll pay you five or 600 francs per test, you know, which to me in today's dollars. So back then that was the late eighties. That was, um, I don't know, 120 bucks or whatever, but it sounded like somebody was saying to a, like if I were 20 today, it sounded like he was saying $500 in today's, in other words, if I did, if I did two of these shoots a week, I could kind of survive on my Mm. own, you know? So I, I sort of jumped on it and, um, and it started testing a little bit and then went back to Canada for a few months and things went very, very well there and went to Japan for three months with my girlfriend at the time who was a model and then, then decided, okay, that's it. I'm moving to Paris, which right. I did. So you moved to Paris and you started shooting there. Were you shooting full time? Yeah. So yeah. I moved, I, 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 didn't go on. My dad, my family really wanted me to go on and do my master's degree. Right. And I come from a very academic family. Mm. I think, you know, my, you know, with PhDs and master's degrees and that kind of thing. And, and, you know, at the time too, I mean, people think now, oh, being a photographer, oh yeah, that's kind of a, sure you're a photographer. <laughs> um, but back then yeah. it, 
you didn't become a photographer. <laughs> I mean, you just didn't become one. I think it's really, I, I, I try to sort of relate this to, to some of the younger photographers who I work with or mentor or my assistants or whoever. You know, as it, and it's, it is difficult. It's always competitive. It doesn't matter what yeah. world we live in. It's always going to be competitive. But back then, it was crazy because I got off a plane, you know, not knowing anybody, like yeah. literally not yeah. knowing anybody and having to get on the phone and speak a language I did not speak. And a friend of mine sort of scripted this thing for me, <laughs> like basically would wrote this script down, what oh, to say. Fantastic. Now, a lot of people spoke English in the fashion business, thank God. Yeah. But anyway, long story short, I just started, I beat the pavement with my yeah. portfolio. Yeah. And knocked on, literally knocked on agency doors and introduced myself. And I didn't really think anything of it. I mean, it was hard. And I remember having shoes that would literally be threadbare. <laughs> and and then slowly getting, ingratiating myself and testing. So you had, back then you had yeah. two, you had two modalities. You could test and make a living, try to make a living testing, eke out a living, or you could um, assist. I actually tried to assist a few people, but I didn't have papers for France. And so the French photographers wanted nothing to do with me. The foreign guys were like, okay, so who have you, it was always that catch 22. Who did you assist before? And, and you couldn't get a hold of anybody. So you couldn't even apply for an internship. There was none of this stuff now on no. Craigslist where, you know, some photographers looking for an intern or, you know, there's, there's, there was the communication was so much limited. The world was so different. Yeah. And I'm not going to say it was better. In some ways, in retrospect, it was so much better. And in some ways, it was so it was so lonely. That was yeah. that was the amazing thing. Like it's so so hard to meet anyone. And the French do not make it easy either, no. especially with so, the language barrier and all that sort of thing. And I'm sure all photographers yeah. were wanting their assistants to speak French and all that. Yeah. But but you got. Uh, you not to jump ahead, but you you seem to have got uh, Im immediate success when you did pick up the camera and shoot for yourself. You started shooting for with yeah. For, like, I, big, I mean, I'm magazines. not gonna you know overstate it, but definitely it was crazily immediate success. Yeah, and within three months of shooting, I shot or six months of shooting anyway, I shot for Canada's top fashion magazine which was called fashion mm. and it still exists and if you go on the actually we could go on the archive you know what we'll we'll, we'll link that yeah definitely and because you can really see my cover really stands out and they gave me like five little shots for the front of the book you know hat yeah. hat story and then <laughs> they loved the images so much they ended up making it a 10-page story and the cover of their 10th anniversary amazing 10th anniversary issue which was a big deal in canada because Every top photographer then really wanted it, and they'd actually kind of promised it to another photographer, right. and then they, which so it was a, it was kind of controversial too, because this guy I sort of knew him as a friend, and he wasn't very happy that I got the cover. This was a big deal, wow. and um, if you look at that cover next to all the other covers they'd shot, you know, the previous few years, and even in the year following. Yeah. Nothing even looks like it. Completely like different, this, right? Yeah. It looked like sort of this, you know, 1950s William Klein or Irving Penn, mm. high contrast black and white. Wow. And that was like, you know, 80, I don't even remember what year it was, honestly. And um, anyhow, so that was my, that was kind of my, a good break in Canada, although mm. I wasn't living there. And in Paris, I, I did start shooting right away. I actually started working for magazines and the odd lookbook here, yeah. I, you know, so it happened very, very quickly. And then, you know, to cut ahead a little bit, within 
I want to say within three or four years, I shot my first Vogue cover, L <laughs> cover, Mary Claire cover, um, and Bizarre cover. It all ha it happened so fast, but it didn't feel like it was happening fast right. because I was, it was I was really working right my time. ass off. Yeah. Like that's it. Just. And with a young man's seven. confidence, I'm sure you're expecting exactly that's how it should go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of it, too. You yeah. know, it's the fact that I had this crazy, unjustified <laughs> amount of confidence right. and energy. And, and yeah, I'm just saying, like, there, I'm going to go to Paris and times. be a photographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Where everyone and, and else I, is I, sitting I, in Toronto, I imagine. Right, exactly. Well, exactly. And that's, and, and, and by the way, that's kind of why I left Toronto because. Right. It just seemed so way too comfortable for me, and yeah. I could see the future there. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? And it's and it was a nice, comfortable future. Yeah. And, but maybe that, you know, going back to this whole punk rock thing, maybe that's you know what it was. What right. what I loved about punk rock and the the ethos of punk is that it's 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 it challenges. I imagine you were more instinctual than than, than planned. Did, did you like today requires a lot of mapping out and, and references and and all that sort of thing, but how did you approach uh, shooting when you when you were first starting? I'm not going to lie. I was I was very influenced by um, Vogue Italia, Italian right. Vogue, as m most people of that generation were. You know, nowadays, I never look at a fashion magazine. Right. I, I rarely, rarely <laughs> look at a fashion magazine. But back then, I would go to international magazine stores yeah. and. You yeah. know, haunt those places. Right. That was that was our internet. It was like, how do we find images yeah. we like? And you could recognize I, other photographers that were there doing yes, the same thing yes. at the side of your own. Like, oh, oh God, yeah, yeah, that person's yeah, definitely yeah. in the business. <laughs> so, so it was an interesting process because what I've discovered in that journey or that exploration was there are photographers who whose work I loved, and and I'm not. I won't lie. I tried to emulate. AKA copy, <laughs> but I just couldn't. Yeah. And then there were photographers whose work, um, you know, of course there's work I didn't like, and then there was work that I could relate to a little more and, and, you know, seemed more akin to my work. Um, so, and I, I, you know, it's like, it's like Martin Scorsese and Coppola mm. always say, rip us off, rip us off. Right. Like that's, we've spent our lives ripping everybody right. else off. Like, don't be afraid to rip people off. And right. I, I don't think there's anything, you know, inherently wrong with that as long as you're sort of being honest with yourself at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And um, that was something you know, that and, always that always struck fear in me was being seen as as having copied something, right, right, you know, right. and that just like you can take reference from things. But if someone's done something once, you cannot do it again. But it, it seems like that ethos has gone and 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 I, I see people posting pictures as oh here's my reference hashtag reference or hashtag inspiration right and then the yeah. photo is exactly yeah. the same you know i i have real mixed i have a genuinely mixed feelings about that i think yeah. in one sense fashion itself is fashion photography is a language of reference right. points but yeah, i do course. think and and by the way like music i, I don't you know yeah, yeah, and 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 just for the record, I I don't I I don't have some I don't see myself as a photographer with the most singular vision in the world. Mm. There are those out there, you know. I'll name a few right now: mm. Jorgen Teller, right. Paolo Raversi, 
um, Peter Lindbergh. There's there's a handful. I mean, there's more than a handful. There's lots of them, but there's a handful of those signature photographers yeah. whose work is just so. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Identifiable. Yeah, defined. You, you know, um, you know who defined, shot it before yeah. reading the credit. Yeah, and and then and then you've got this this other group, and there's. I'm not saying they're not amazing, and there's some of them who I really love. Like, but honestly, I can't tell the difference, and and I don't mind saying this out loud. You know, it's maybe no one's listening. Don't worry. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you've got. Then you take like you could take a. Um, Patrick and I love Patrick DeMarchi. Yeah. I love David Sims. Yeah. But I look through pages of Vogue and I can't tell the difference between those two photographers. Right. You know, on any given day. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And because I can't claim to be a Jurgen Teller and right. I can't claim to be a Paolo Reversi. And 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 just to segue here a little bit, that's part of the reason why I actually love being an editor. I don't see my I don't identify my my self identity isn't in that of being a photographer. Yeah, and that's why I'm very comfortable in the role of editor in chief and creative director at Imagista. I see myself really almost as the ultimate fan of photography and culture. In in a way, I'll sometimes describe myself as a dilettante, so half half jokingly, but I am a dilettante, and mm. I don't have a problem with that. I think the world needs well informed dilettantes Absolutely. who can connect the dots between different points of view. And perhaps for me, that's what, not even perhaps that has, that is what led to Imagista and including having played in, you know, rock bands in the past yeah. and, and, and being a writer. And I've been a, a radio host, uh, you know, during college, a DJ in college. And I, I think, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a, a varied cultural career. No, no. But if we're speaking specifically just to photography, if you truly want to stand out heads and tails above everyone else and really make your mark, then yeah, you have to take a lot of risk and stand out. And there's not a lot of people who've done that successfully. Well, that seems a great point to start talking about Imagista, which can be found at theimagista.com. Tell us when you started and a bit more about the magazine, Michael. For those who don't really know it, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give a brief Please. elevator pitch on it. It's Imagista really, it, it, it's what we focus on is we focus on profiles on interesting creative people around the world. And we want to make sure that they, that how they're photographed, you know, especially being, having a photographic background, that's really important, is that the quality of photography is very high yeah. and Imagista is photographically driven. But that said, the quality of the conversation that we have with our contributors through our Q and A's and our interviews is really, really important to mm. us. So I always felt that fashion was too isolated and didn't provide enough context. There was not enough conversation within fashion. And I felt that, you know, there needed to be a platform that had more conversation. And that's really where Imagista comes in. So, so to back up a little bit and answer your question, in 2010, so this is now six years ago, I just, because it took me two years to get <laughs> the idea from a light bulb to, to, excuse me, getting the site live. It really took two years to get that site live, or maybe it was, yeah, two, two and a half years. Anyway, um, so 
the other thing I recognized is how poorly photographers were treated, not just at mainstream magazines, but even at the independent publication. So as a photographer, if you want to go and shoot a really cool, say, let's say fashion story for argument's sake, you've got, and you're not one of the fortunate ones to be shooting for W, Italian Vogue, French Vogue. In other words, a mainstream recognizable fashion magazine where they still value creativity. I don't mean Cosmopolitan, Mary Claire, or one of the other more commercial mm. magazines. Um, your only other option is to go and shoot for an independent magazine. And I'm not going to name any names right now, but so, but unfortunately, those most of those magazines don't really treat their contributors very well, <laughs> and they don't. They, there was just not. There wasn't enough freedom offered there, right. and there's not. You know, I always. I say think this with also the, with with with. Uh, Digital coming through that 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 there's no finite uh, beginning and end to magazines anymore. So there's room sure, to publish sure. more things and 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 to Absolutely. creating there's things that. that are cheaper and easier now. And and I think it's opened up. And I, and the, one of the the hard things about shooting in in New York is that there are only a few editorial outlets outlets there. Whereas in in Europe, there there's you know if you compare Europe to the United True. States, there's True. There's English Vogue, Paris Vogue, Italian yeah. Vogue, but there's only one U.S. Vogue, and there yes, weren't yes, very yeah. many independent magazines around. And so, you know, if uh, you, you wanted to shoot, you, like in New York's such an inspirational place that you want to shoot all the time, but there just wasn't necessarily the outlets all the time. Yeah, that's 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 very true as well. Um, New York is incredibly competitive and very yeah. crowded. And with Imagista, I wanted to create a platform that was up there with all of the top magazines. So, again, I didn't create Imagista as a platform for emerging photographers to kind right. of get their feet wet or whatever. It's not that. It's, it's designed for photographers and writers who, al who, who are already, already excuse me, well along in their careers. They're yeah. already doing extremely well and yeah. need... And want a platform where they can do their the best possible work that they can that they can get out there. So that's that's sort of the nascence of that that began the nascence of Imagista. Mm. And I would say two things about Imagista. We're here to inspire our audience because if we don't do that, then you know all we are is a is a sort of closed community and empower our contributors. So I yeah. want to be able to empower our contributors to do great work and inspire our audience. Those and I've you know in and having been a photographer for almost 30 years, I don't think I've ever walked into a magazine where they've said, our mission here is to really empower you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I've, I've never heard that. And I've, I've rarely have I heard do whatever the hell you want because we just, right. you know, and in those, in those rare circumstances where I have photographed for publications where they did let me do whatever the hell I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And the creative director was just really good at staying out of the way. I always did my best work. Yeah. Even and I'll never forget shooting for Vogue. Um, so not Vogue on Plus Thirty Arena, when Fabian Barron was yeah, the amazing. creative director, and yeah. Fabian came on set to the two shoots that I did. He walked in, looked at a couple of Polaroids, shook my hand, was very cordial. I think we had a cup of coffee or tea together. Was there for maybe twenty minutes, said hello to everybody, and left. <laughs> and I thought, oh God, that's how it's done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A just very like, loose hey, hand on the, the reins, back, right? You know? 
But I will credit you for, um, for, for actually creating the forum that allowed this podcast to begin because of, we, we did a, a shoot with uh, Chelsea Leyland that's, for Imagista. Yeah. And, and well, there, well, there, well, there you go. And that's yeah. what it really should be about as well. I, I don't, um, it's not that we can ignore competition, but at the same time, it's not really about competition. It's really about, and, and there's a huge community element to Imagista as well, yeah. a huge, because that's part of empowerment. We want, Absolutely. I want our teams to work together, to collaborate, especially in, in this really, really tough market for mm. creatives right yeah. now. Uh, you know, it's, I, we don't, you know, we're not monetized yet. Hopefully, you know, we will eventually get there and, and, yeah. and we'll be able to compensate our contributors one day. <laughs> but in the meantime, we're do at least we're doing, you know. And and by the way, none of the independent magazines compensate their their none. their contributors. And the problem that I have with that, it, it wasn't it wasn't the lack of compensation, it was the lack of compensation tied in with you know them turning to me and saying, "Hey, we really love your work, but could you please shoot this story?" Right. And so there I am stuck doing a story I don't really want to do. Right. But I've got to kind of do it because I don't have any other outlet. And, I've, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I've heard so many photographers say the same thing. They pitch a story idea to an independent magazine. The yeah. independent magazine pats them on the back and says, great idea. Hey, but we'd love you to shoot this instead. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay. Some t you know what? If yeah. it's the perfect story for you, great. Do yeah. it. You know, if, if I say, hey, you know, I want to shoot this fashion story out in the desert. And they say, well, that's great. But we'd actually really love you to shoot Beyonce in the desert. And we can get her for you. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, they just upped it for me. But that yeah. doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's basically the brief history of Imagista. Yeah. And, Do you remember and your first shoot for Imagista? Oh God, my first shoot. Do I remember my first shoot for it? I Yeah, it was probably the story I did um, on the artist who's a buddy of mine in LA, amazing artist named David Buckingham. He's crazy. And we'll have to put it in that link. And we can put Absolutely. the link to the story as well. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> that was it, too. That was the other thing. I have all these nutty friends <laughs> who are artists and you know, yeah. bookmakers and painters and singers and DJs. Yeah. And I really wanted to not just necessarily promote them. That's part of it. But to, and I know, Jonathan, that's where you and I are very, very similar. I see, they, I see a lot of parallels between what you're doing and what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, you and I both love people. We yeah. like to, talk, you know, we like meeting people and in, 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 in engaging with people. And that's one of the great things about being a photographer is mm. meeting all these really interesting people. And yet, if funnily enough, I was still a fashion photographer or a very high end. You know, I, I'm not saying I was Annie Leibovitz, but only photographing huge stars, right. relatively huge stars. And so I had no platform to through which I could photograph my other interesting and successful but not necessarily famous friends yeah. or or by the way or have a platform through which I could reach out to someone who like we did a whole profile on Stephen Shore who's one of my all-time yeah. favorite photographers and we reached out to him or the director did Heidi um, Heidi Hume did and she reached out to him and I went up and I and I was actually her cameraman I was like fine I'll be the cameraman sure <laughs> You know, I was also, so I was editor-in-chief, you know, <laughs> slash cameraman that day. And I was okay with that um, because it was a great experience. Yeah. And I think if, 
you know, we all want to make money, and I don't think there's that many photographers who get into it purely for the money. I, no, I don't know I of any, know and any. if they do nowadays, they're they're nuts. Yeah, I you don't know, know there's yeah. there just isn't the money that, that there the potential there isn't the potential upside there used to be. Mm. So um, yeah, I mean, I think you and I have a lot in common that way. Well, we I, I found with this, it was connected. like, and someone said to me, uh, "It's like, oh, you know, you just you're recording your mates," but I, but I realized that that one day that, that I have a lot of successful, talented, interesting friends, and although they are all my friends, they're doing really interesting things, and in, in, in 10 years, who knows where they'll be, and, 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 but, uh, but I find them interesting sure. now, and they've got great projects, and, and I want this to be a bit of an insider's look at creative industries, and just, you know, to see how, as how it's made, and, and just hear stories, and find people's process. And so I've been loving yeah. Imagista, and so one of my uh, favorite shoots, of course, was with uh, the Walking Dead's Norman Reedus being a big Walking Dead. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, damn it, why couldn't have I been the coffee guy on that, on that shoot? <laughs> As yeah. I'm sure a lot of people have well, said to you. So uh, tell us how that came about. Well, the whole thing with Norman, it's, it's funny how that came about because I have known of Norman for a very long mm. time. Um, his baby mama, Helena Christensen, the model, and I, we're all friends. Yeah. I used to sort of hear about Norman. And, and yeah. actually, I remember like, as far back as when she first fell in love with Norman. And, hmm. and Nor Norman, if, if Norm, or Norman or Helena ever listen to this, they'll, they'll probably both blush <laughs> or you know, throw something at me. But I remember <laughs> reading, having Helena read me a letter that Norman had written. And I'm not going to quote the letter, because honestly, I don't even remember what was in it. But it was this passionate letter. Wow. I thought, wow, this guy is fucking intense, <laughs> you know. And anyone who is like kind of an unknown guy, if yeah. anyone has the, that kind of swagger to win over right. Helena Christensen, who was dating, you know, rock stars. Yeah, and, and Helena movie was stars huge and, and everywhere at that time, oh God, and, yeah. and she yes. was like the yeah. most beautiful girl in the world at that moment. I thought, right? I mean, she's still amazing. Yeah, that yeah, that was the height of her yeah. ab absolute <laughs> height of her career. And anyway, so I just remember thinking of this guy must be me. And, and yet somehow he's a bit like Snuffleupagus. I'd never met him. Right. And, and, and we had all these other friends in common, like Nur from uh, Electric Room, is, yeah. you know, and, and these, and by the way, these guys go out a lot than I do. And of course, Jeffrey Jaw. Yeah. And so Nur from Electric Room and I, we talked, he said, look, you've got to shoot Norman. I said, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. And then it just never sort of happened. And then the same thing with Jeffrey. And then, um, so, so finally, sort of Jeffrey Jaw kind of spearheaded the whole thing, and um, we sent Norman a link to the site. We sent him a link to my work. He got back and said, wow, yeah, I really love this stuff, um, you know, and it's amazing. Again, it's sort of like Norman's, you know, Norman and I, now Norman and I are buddies, but back then I didn't I didn't right. know Norman really you know we had lots of common reference points in terms of our friends and you know he walks in the studio and Jeffrey Jeffrey sort of jaw was like he he was you know sort of acting as and, and just to interrupt uh, Jeffrey Jar is uh, we've known both known for years he's one of the the the, the top uh, nightclub and restaurant promoters in New York and have, have yeah, been involved yeah. in, in yeah, all yes. the top things, yeah. Yeah, and he does a lot of events and he does Imagistas events and yeah. Flaunt magazines and Jaws spelled J-A-H. So, you know, it actually came together pretty easily and yeah. we spent a half day in studio and Norman was really 
fun to work with and and it really it honestly it felt like i'd known him forever and it just felt like two friends two mates hanging out shooting i shoot very quickly yeah he you know likes that process um and i'm you know despite this sort of classical composition of a lot of my work i'm still very kind of easygoing in my approach i'm sure you kind of shoot in a similar way it's It's interesting when you say the uh classical composition because I like I find that's a part of and I didn't realize it was until I'd started to because I don't have any art training whatever but I realized that that what comes to me instinctually was classic composition and I found that composition was very important and I and I find that almost in a little alarm goes off in my head when I'm shooting when it's the composition all finds in into place and now is your process of taking pictures is it more studied or or still loose and and uh, spontaneous i mean you know to be totally honest with you i hardly even think about yeah. it yeah i i do not think about it i show up at the studio i'm like you know i'll do a, I, I know the lights are going to be there roughly mm. And I kind of make it up as I go along mm. and I've got my little routine and um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in connecting with yeah. the subject yeah. and I don't like um, I don't like overly, you know, I like very I like just simple, pure, beautiful light, yeah. simple, elegant composition. And I want to have some kind of connection with that subject. Yeah. Yep. That's really that's really what I I'm interested in. That's why I uh, love it. it it's yeah. like, and those were great photos, and you didn't feel like the screen or the page was a barrier to you know. They felt like there was a real connection and and and, and friendliness between in, in those photos. Yeah, yeah, great, great. Mm. I, I hope so. And and then you know, in the subsequent interview we did too, we just sat down and we just yeah. talked. I, yeah. I mean, it's a really good read. Yeah. Um, I wish I'd actually recorded better audio on it because mm. it's just a very relaxed frank matter of fact conversation and that's part of what those are some of the values that we're trying to instill at imagista i mean I, i'm open to a wide range of creative styles and expression like there's photographers I'll, I'll like one of my favorite photographers that shoots for imagista is eric t white mm-hmm. and his work is just crazy like right. it's it's like crazy colors so in terms of my personal photographic style you know, I always say tricks are for kids, right? right. You know, um, and, and by the way, that's a, that's, um, a, I'm quoting Tony Alva. I'll never forget <laughs> in the, in Skateboarder Magazine years ago, when skateboarding went from this very purist Tony Alva approach, all about style, to very technical, you know, right. ushering in the era that Tony Hawk became the sort of master of and and Tony Hawk was still was still too young to have an impact but it became all about contests and how many tricks you could do and there's nothing wrong with that there's the, it's the progression of it's a natural progression of the sport but um, and Tony Hawk to, sorry Tony Alva he did he won the first two or three contests and then I think that he shied away and, and I think part of it was part of it was because he realized a new era was coming in you know and that to keep up with this, you know, this, these, this progression was going to be really, really challenging. And I think, I think part of it was, I'm sure on one level, he didn't want his, his, his legacy to be taken apart by these silly contests. Right. And, and, 
you know, and, and I love I love what he said. He, he, so he was asked, the interviewer said, so why aren't you, why have you withdrawn from contests? And he said, well, because tricks are for kids. He said, I'm just about expression. Right. And I mean, you can, there's, there's different ways of looking at that, but that really stuck with me. And, mm. and not that I think there's anything wrong with skateboard competitions, um, but I think what he was saying, he was drawing a line in the sand and you can see that in surfing, by the way. Like you see Rob Machado and Kelly Slater, and we could talk about that if you want. But that's what Rob Machado decided. He was he he was second on the tour one year. Um, you know, it came down to he and it's a very very famous moment in surf in modern surfing history, where it came down to Rob Machado and Kelly in the last heat at Pipeline. And hmm. I personally think that Rob surfed better in that heat, but Kelly won on points. So this, the heat was over. Kelly had won the world championships. And traditionally what the surfers do is they go right into shore when they hear the horn go. And, um, and they run down the beach at Pipe where there's 10,000 people. And they get hoisted onto the arms, you know, pushed onto the bulkhead and your know, champagne poured over their head. Like it's like a Formula One race or yeah. something, right? And these two, because they're friends, they stayed in the water for... <laughs> I don't know how long it was, five or 10, 15 minutes. And they just had a soul session and they were literally high fiving each other <laughs> while one of them was running down the waves. And you can see this footage on YouTube, by the way. Wow. So, so that really, so, you know, I identify far more with Tony Alva as a skateboarder, right. with Rob Machado as a surfer. And I love Kelly said, I've met him. I've had dinner with him a couple of times. Great guy, amazing guy. Yeah. And, but you know, Rob, Machado is the spirit of surfing, and and not to say that Kelly's not, but Kelly made a you know a decision to become the best competitive surfer of all time, right. and Rob made a decision to become. I mean, it's more complicated than this, by the way, the story. But Rob essentially made a decision to become a soul surfer, right. and Kelly, you know, is worth way more money than Rob, but Rob still, you know, he's still done fine for himself. Yeah. So how that relates to Imagista is, you know. I'm going to compare Imagista to Interview Magazine really quickly. Because some people say, oh, it sounds a lot like Interview Magazine. You shoot like cool, there's cool photography and there's these interviews, right? Mm. I'm like, you know, I, and I, by the way, I'm a huge fan of Interview and I never would have, I don't think I would have ever gotten to photography if it weren't for those early issues of Interview Magazine and the face and all yeah. that kind of cool stuff from back in the day. Um, but Interview Magazine to me is the ethos and aesthetic and even the quality of interview and the tones of the interview, they're driven by a fashion sensibility. Mm. And Imagista is not that. We're driven more by a photographic and I don't want to say intellectual or academic point of view, but we're, the approach even to our conversation is much more down to earth right. and stripped down. So, so those are... The majority of the aesthetic values come from that point of view. Although, having Which said I that, I really enjoy because I find sorry not to sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I sure find the fashion has got really kind of inside and tight, and, and it's almost for its own self, it. you know. And and yeah, and, and it's fashion yes. for fashionistas, fashion for fashion insiders. Um, whereas yeah. it used to be for everyone almost, but I just feel it's it's very tight at the moment. And so to do things uh, that, uh, 
that's based on photography rather than fashion is, is very interesting. And I hadn't thought of it like that, but you're right, because it's the sort of people that you're, you're interviewing, it's not just where they stand in, in, in the fashion world, it's where they stand in the world. And if they've got an interesting story to tell and if there's some great photos, then, then that's where it'll be. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's really driven by, it's also driven by the quality of the person that, who are, who, and the quality of the conversation we have with them. And by the way, I'm not, we have a long way to go. We are yeah. tiny yeah. little yeah. independent, just starting to get going. And interviews been around, what did they have, their 40th anniversary yeah. this year or yeah. last year? Was it the 40th? Yeah. I think it was their 40th. So they're 40, they're, you know, I'm they not sure, 30, but it, it, they, yeah, yeah. Been they're a 37 long time. years yeah. further down the road than yeah. we are. You know, so so I don't mean to be, I, and, and I'm not critical of them. Just it's just no, a way no, no, of no, sort no. of comparing. But I, I wanted to mention totally. that one photographer, um, Eric T. White. Um, you know, because because at the same time, I do value a wide range of expression. So I what I don't like though is I don't like this fashionista fashion. I cannot <laughs> stand it, where it all feels the same, even if it's really good. Yeah. And I'm not going to get into naming you know publications or whatever. But there's a lot of them, and I yeah. really can't tell the difference no. in their work. And and it's this is a real challenge for me as an editor in chief, and it's a creative challenge for our team. Because we really do want to do amazing fashion, mm. and I think we are doing, for the most part, amazing fashion. Mm. But to really strike out on our own and to and to 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 have our own voice and not fall into this this it's almost a trap, um, following the fashionista right. kind of crowd, and it's because you know, that crowd and I don't mind saying this, they're incredibly self congratulatory. <laughs> They they're so, you know, and 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 and, and, and I, I don't I'm not a hater, no. but but I do want to be a force of change or at least a force of, hey, here's another option, another way of looking at not just fashion, but other things, too. But since we're just kind of primarily talking about fashion, that is, you know, how I got into publishing in the first place. But I want to be a force of, of change. I want people to to know that there's different ways of looking at things and um you know and again it's a work in progress are yeah. we have we have we achieved that in some respects yes and in many respects no and it will be but that is our goal is yeah. to 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 present all of our subjects whether it's fashion art music in in our own voice really you yeah. know and i know you ha you've only been going a few years and then a long way to go but you yeah. had your first print issue this year which well last year now which is very exciting yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah fall of 2015 we had our first print issue it was mm. a, you know limited edition it was super fun to do because yeah. we did it on this heavy duty um 11 by 14 and by the way if anyone's listening um um, there, it's it is available for purchase online, and we're going to reduce the price. Um, it was twenty dollars, um, including shipping. I think we're going down to ten dollars, including shipping in the U.S. And then I think Europe is or worldwide is a little bit more than that because it's uh, it, the magazine itself weighs a pound. Yeah. Anyhow, so <laughs> and check the Facebook really... page. There'll be links uh, links that's, on there for the. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we really did it as a as just a trial really just to see what the response would be and um when i first got into doing images i thought i'm never going to do print ever ever <laughs> ever it's a waste of time waste of money and you know it's i 
and now we're we're on the verge of signing a contract that will uh, that will mean we will do four glossy, not glossy glossy. It's kind of a matte type paper, thick paper, really really nice quality paper. And actually, the inside is more like book paper. It's it's um, matte but very high quality. Um, with international distribution, yeah, great. Um, four time quarterly, more like a bookazine. Mm-hmm. Um, not you know, because most of our content is designed not to be timely, but to be timeless. Um, and then we're also looking at doing two photography books, um, right. hard hardback photography books per year. That's so amazing. That's, we haven't worked. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot. We have a lot going on there, um, but obviously we're super excited about it. And I think the reason why I've had a change of heart is because I realized that what's happening in publishing, magazine publishing anyway, is that you're seeing, at least from what I can tell, the advent of the independent magazine is really, it's starting to come into its own, much the same way vinyl in music is coming (laughs) into its own. Mm -hmm. And the... And, and, and publishing's changing. So we're seeing these really cool independent magazines coming out that are more like books. And they are like these little objects of art that you can kind of collect um, and sort of covet. And, and the mainstream magazines aren't doing as well. But in a sense, like if you're talking about, say, Rolling Stone or Vogue or whatever, those, those publications, as, good, as, as, as much as you like them or don't like them, they actually don't really need to exist in print. No. If they were doing this, if they were doing this sort of rarefied, beautifully laid out, you know, this um, very tactile, creating this tactile experience, which our magazine will be, and our first magazine was as well, then that makes sense. But if all you're doing is pumping out pop media, you know, current cultural media, then you don't really need a magazine. Right. And, that's, and that's why we're, I think, anyway, we're seeing this trickling off of popularity in those magazines. And yet, there is this influx, and I'm not suggesting I don't ever see a day, I could be wrong, where, but I don't think so, where Imagista is going to be printing a million copies per month, maybe 100,000 globally after right. a few years. Um, but I think that's sort of the saturation point would probably be 100,000 because yeah. if we were doing more than that, I would almost begin to question things. I'd be like, right. you know, wait <laughs> a minute. We lost we the must, editorial so, direction. Have we lost exactly. the original we idea. We something wrong here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're getting really successful. That, that, right. <laughs> we need to tone right. things down. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, anyway, I'm going on a bit of a tangent. I wonder, that's great, Michael. And and listen, we've got tons to talk about. And I feel, really yeah. feel like we've only barely scratched the surface. And, and I'm going to have Michael back in um, yeah, uh, in not too distant future in, yeah. in, a, in a, uh, a period when we talk to photographers about particular photos that they've shot, some of their favorite okay. photos. But um, okay. I'd like to wrap up now, but we definitely would love that's to have you back in. Uh, we would like to give you, why don't you give us your social, uh, where people can get in contact with you and the various Um, websites. You can find me, um, as a photographer at, on Instagram at, at Michael Williams photo. Um, you can also find me, um, Michael Williams, I believe photography on Facebook, but (laughs) but Imagista, it's really all about Imagista. So Imagista is at Imagista on both Twitter and um, Facebook and, sorry, Instagram. So at Imagista, I-M-A-G-I-S-T-A. Yeah. 
Right. And the and the uh, the website for Imagista is yes. theimagista.com. Yes. So, yeah, and yes. for Michael's uh, personal website, uh, check out themichaelwilliams.com. That's it. Right. Uh, thanks so much, Michael. It's been really good, and, and, and I look, really look forward to having you back on, and I wish you all the success with Imagista, and I, and I hope I can continue being involved, because I've really enjoyed what Absolutely, I've done for it. Yeah. And we look forward to having you back on, so thanks again. Likewise. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Well, thanks again for listening, everybody. I can't tell you how excited and grateful I am for all your support. We are committed to bringing you the best minds in the creative industries, so don't forget to subscribe and you will have a new episode of Daddy OFM on your device every week. This is a show for you, our listeners, and I want you to be part of it. If you have a comment or an idea for a guest, email us at daddyofm at gmail.com and we'll read your comment on the show. Like our page on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at daddyofm, tell your friends, and most importantly, go to iTunes on your computer and rate and review the show. will really help us get noticed. We are roaring up the charts and it's all thanks to you. Taking us out is Guns of Brixton by The Clash, available now on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Daddy-O out. You can bruise us, but you'll have to run.